Sports Analytics Podcast. We got our first NFL podcast of the season coming up, and um, really excited to be back for the NFL season. Uh, been hard at work with some baseball stuff and some golf stuff, but uh, I do think football is our bread and butter, so we're, we're really excited to be back with that. I'm joined today by Brandon Adams, uh, the founder of Advanced Sports Analytics, and we're here to discuss a little bit of week one preparation, but also just uh, before the season kicks off, discuss kind of how we want to be approaching uh, you know, NFL season this year, particularly through a GPP lens and kind of what strategies we're going to be able or we're going to attempt to employ um, as we, you know, as we work through the NFL season. So welcome to the show, Brandon. Uh, Really excited for football to be starting. um, And yeah, I think it's gonna be a great year for us. Yeah, of course. Fired up for the season, fired up for advanced sports analytics. We put a lot of work in. Um. Okay, so week one is is upon us. Um, I wanted to start off talking about some some macro thoughts that I have for this season. Um, anyone who's interested in the advanced sports analytics philosophy, you can check out the book that I wrote with Stuart and Mason, Advanced Fantasy Football. Uh, we spend quite a lot of time talking about GPP strategy and very big field GPP strategy in particular for stuff like the Millionaire Maker. Uh, my, my philosophy going into this season is that the past two seasons are likely an anomaly and we're likely to see lineup construction or winning lineup construction revert to what was the norm in the years before the, the last couple years. So, so last year, last year we had a situation where the typical lineup construction of winning lineups was pay up for running back, pay up for both running back slots. And many of the winning lineups had uh, running back at the flex as well. Um, So the lineup construction tended to be elite pass catching running backs in three spots. To me, this is a very unusual construction. Um, If you think about what you're trying to do in winning a a millionaire maker, you're looking at a a tail outcome. You're trying to pile tons of points into your limited number of of, doesn't really fit into that picture because running eats up the clock, Um, running, Typical, most running plays have somewhat capped upsides. And because the running volume is so predictable, uh, the elite running backs are typically priced up. So, so I, I think that typically speaking, you want to pay down for running backs in a big field GPP and pay up for wide receivers, which give you access to a, a ceiling um, <clears throat> that running backs typically can't access uh, or historically didn't access until the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and then uh, have one or two hunt wide receivers, uh, maybe like a 4K price tag, four to 5K price tag on DraftKings where you're, where you're really looking for that one big breakout play or, or, you know, maybe, maybe two breakout plays. Um, so to me, this is your, your stereotypical winning lineup 
construction, pay up, pay up at quarterback, uh, punt running back, pay up at wide receiver in two to three spots, and then punt wide receiver in two or three spots. Cheap defense. That's that to me is the is the typical construction. Now let's talk about why um, one might pay up for wide receiver. Um, if we look at say seven years of data rather than looking at the last two seasons, the high price wide receivers like uh, Julio Jones have access to a ceiling that similar price running backs don't have access to. So there have been games where, for instance, uh, Julio has scored over 55 DraftKings points. And just by the eyeball test, we can see that there is that possibility in most games against weak to mediocre defenses. I mean, he can break out on any particular play. He's getting targets sometimes um, in close to 15. Um, so we can see that it's possible for him to have uh, in a big game the 50, 60 point performance. <clears throat> Typically, your high price running backs will will not have access to that ceiling and would be have having good games in the 30 to 35. Um, there's also the phenomena that with low priced wide receivers, or, and mid-price wide receivers, they typically never have the games that the high-price wide receivers are capable of. So if we're looking, again, at seven years of data rather than two years of data, what you typically find is that the, high pri the highest price wide receivers have access to ceilings that the highest price running backs do not have access to. And furthermore, their their ceiling games or even their like top 25 percentile games are never matched by guys who are, you know, wide receiver 5k or wide receiver 4k. Um, and in say, let's just take another position tight end. The typical millionaire maker construction is to punt at tight end um, because Usually you're doing well to get 20 points from your tight end, whether it's Kelsey or, or a punt. And um, having someone like Kelsey in there does tend to cap your upside a bit because you're, you're paying something close to a uh, elite wide receiver price and your ceiling um, is in that 30 range where you probably need much more on a on a point per, per dollar basis. Um, quarterback is is really to me a, a week by week kind of thing. Uh, if you look at seven years of data, it would be one where you would punt, um, and you would punt because um, it's not unusual at all for the wide receiver. I mean the quarterback price. 15th to have a performance within five points of the top fantasy performance of the week. Um, and so, uh, and you never have really the top price quarterback breakout for 45 points. That's the kind of point per salary dollar that you might 
that you might desire. Um, so um, it's historically been better to punt. However, I think of it as very slate specific because, um, for instance, like week one coming up, you have so much value that uh, it's it's okay to to pay up for uh, maybe a Baker Mayfield or uh, Mahomes um, and have access to their ceiling. So I've got more thoughts on the philosophy of uh, season-long construction, but Stuart, I wonder if you have any disagreements with what I've said. Um, not so much disagreements, but I mean, just kind of questions of how some of these strategies uh, consider like ownership. Um, I'm interested kind of positionally what, uh, what positions you think have kind of the most consolidated ownership and maybe positions where ownership tends to be more spread out. I mean, I would guess with wide receiver, you probably have uh, more uh, sparse ownership just because there are more wide receivers and, you know, running back and tight end, maybe more condensed ownership because there are fewer running backs and tight ends who are either like, you know, feature back or um, I guess feature tight end or kind of lead tight end by, by, uh, you know, wide margin. And um, so that's like one question. Um, also with running backs, you know, you do mention this year wanting to probably pay down. And I'm not sure if, if you're thinking kind of all the way down or more towards the middle, but um, you know, some of the top price running backs are priced as such because they have access to this, you know, feature back role with really high volume. And they're also just talented players. But when you are looking down at kind of this mid to lower range, is your focus more on just guys who have, uh, you know, good, touch volume per dollar or are you more trying to hunt for uh, maybe players who have access to the right touches so specifically kind of goal line touches or uh, players who maybe not might not be feature backs but feature heavily in the pass game which is kind of a more high efficiency touch for running backs um, I don't know yeah if there's any sort of archetype with some of these kind of price down running backs that you're looking for um, yeah curious to know how you're kind of thinking about that yeah, so I think it is I think it is very slate specific. Uh it's slate specific in the sense that uh in our book we have a lot of data on what what type of games one might focus on in big field tournaments and one of some of the more interesting data in our book is looking at over/unders where over-unders is uh, a median expectation for the amount of runs scored in the game, and the, and the mean is increasing faster than the median. But um, more interestingly, the probability of reaching certain high scores is going up much faster than, than the mean. So, for instance, uh, intuitively, uh, a game that has an over-under of – 48 versus a game that has an over-under of, of 52, say, only a four-point differential, both on the high side of totals. Intuitively, those games um, are somewhat similar. Um, however, our data suggests that, for instance, the probability of the 52 over-under hitting a 65-point uh, game or more is – much higher than the probability of the 48 total game. And uh, this is very relevant for fantasy because what you care about is 
what is the chance that this game goes off for fantasy purposes? And, and so um, when you get, say, there's a big difference between a slate that has two games that are at these stratospheric totals versus a slate that has four games that are at the stratospheric total. If, if there is four games, um, you know that it's going to be uh, a, a very high-scoring fantasy day. And it's more likely that the winning lineups come from, from airing it out. And um, it's more likely that your fantasy construction is pay up for wide receiver, pay down for running back. Um, and yeah, if, if I, I feel like in the last couple years, one of the reasons that we've had uh, – these high-priced running backs in the winning lineups is because we've we've actually had a dearth of ceiling games from the very high-priced wide receivers. We've relative to statistical expectation, the um, the number of ceiling games from say your your wide receiver one through four in price each week has been lower than statistical expectation. It's not not surprising that this could happen there's very few <clears throat> very few instances observations over the course of a season but um, I feel what has happened statistically is you have a certain expectation that say the first one through five wide receivers uh, Hopkins or Julio uh, Antonio of old um, would have had say a above 50 point fantasy game and in the past two years the observation has been uh, re relatively uh, a low number of, of plus 50 fantasy point games. So uh, I think we can expect that to revert. Nothing has changed really in the structure of the NFL uh, to prevent these ceiling games from the, from the elite wide receivers. Uh, I'm curious, so like in, in terms of the types of running backs, I think – I think um, someone who has a history of explosive games in the game log and someone where there's a little bit of doubts in the role, but we know it could be big, like, uh, like a Kenyon Drake, you know, like Kenyon Drake's going to be for the season. He's going to be priced at like uh, whatever in the five thousands. And there's a lot of doubt about what the role is. He's, flashed explosive potential in the past there's there's also um obviously you're not going to get credit as a dfs player for saying okay if the total is 50 and this team is ahead by uh, uh, or this team is favored by seven and they have the bell cow running back you're not going to get a lot of credit for picking that running back on your dfs team right um whereas with a Kenyon drake and miami uh, Miami is going to have some games. We, we don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have some games where they're favored by six, where they lose by 10. They're going to have some games where they're favored by six and win by 15. Like there's a lot of uncertainty around Miami. There's a lot of uncertainty around Kenyon Drake's role. Um, he has the explosive talent. You put him, you put him in your fantasy lineup at 5k and you know, most of the time he scores a 12, but sometimes he scores a 28. I, I do have, like you do mention kind of the dearth of explosive wide receiver games. I mean, do you have any concern that 
I mean, I think one trend we've seen over the last year or two is the expansion of running back and tight end roles kind of encroaching on wide receiver roles where you do see more tight ends that are essentially functioning as, you know, inline wide receivers or even split out, you know, slot receivers, running backs who are functioning as receivers out of the backfield. I mean, do you wonder, um, A, like if this is, uh, you know, if, if this trend is perhaps contributing to the reduction of just explosive wide receiver games. And um, I don't know if it's a trend that you see continuing or, uh, you know, more reverting back to, I guess, more structured roles where you're seeing tight ends kind of more functioning as blockers, running backs, more as runners, uh, opening up most of those passing opportunities or receiving opportunities for your true wide receivers. Yeah, it's cert it's certainly possible that there, that there has been a change. Um, however, it's, it's not something that I personally would bet on. Um, I would rather bet on the, the older data, the seven years of data. And another way to think about this is from a betting perspective, okay? Um, let's say you bet on a trend change towards more running back and tight end role, and you're wrong, okay? What that means is you've, you've bet on lineups that have what has historically been a low ceiling and you don't even have the possibility of having a winning lineup each week. And if, if you make that bet and you're wrong, like that's very costly, right? Whereas if you make the bet that it is as it's always been and you should focus your dollars on these wide receivers with the ultra high ceilings. Um, even if you turn out to be a little bit wrong and the NFL has changed towards tight ends and running backs, you still have access to these extreme ceilings. You still have some probability of your lineups hitting the 250 or 300 that you need to win the millionaire maker. So your, your equities are still intact for these very big field tournaments whereas to in my mind if you if you bet on the running backs and tight ends having maybe the big seasons that they've had for the past couple seasons i think it's very likely that you're wrong and your lineups are sort of drawing kind of dead from an equity perspective in something like the millionaire maker because you don't have access to these very high ceilings so it's very likely that your your equities are just very bad but even if you're right on the structural change it's still it's still not clear to me that you have that you have access to uh the type of ceiling that that you're going to need to win these tournaments i think it's been um quite flukish actually these past two two seasons gotcha well yeah it'll certainly be something to tune into and, and kind of some interesting things to pay attention to in the early goings of the season um as we kind of see, like I always think the first couple of weeks are pretty tough to, uh, you know, understand what changes we're seeing within teams or on a league-wide level and kind of how we want to factor that into our strategy. So definitely some good stuff to pay attention to in the first couple of weeks of the season. And, um, you, and you think about, you think about like the, the value of say the, uh, the four, the four or five K wide receiver 
um, ideal lineup construction, I think for the millionaire maker, you have, you have two low to mid-priced running backs. You have two or three elite wide receivers. You have a wide receiver in the flex. You have generally a cheap tight end and generally a, a cheap defense. Um, so given that you're playing two or three elite wide receivers of your four total wide receivers, um, you're going to have one or two wide receiver punts. Um, and those wide receiver punts will be, you know, typically 3,500 to 5k in that range. Um, and there, those two guys are really contributing to your, to your overall upside and to the explosiveness of your lineup because those are the guys that can score 15 fantasy points on a play. Um, obviously, the type of guys that we're looking for are the, the high speed, down the field, explosive potential, one play kind of wide receivers. And we're hoping they have two in the game. Um, if they have one in the game, that's, that could still be part of a millionaire maker lineup. One, one long touchdown and a few other completions. Um, but you think about how valuable that is for, our, for our, our lineup's winning potential, given that each minute, most minutes in the NFL, nothing is happening. Um, winning the millionaire maker, it's a race to have a lot happen in a short period of time. And to win the millionaire maker, you need that one, that one minute, that one play where you score 20 fantasy points. Uh, and, and these are the guys that are going to have it that, that, that we need it to happen for. Um, so we have four wide receivers, two of them we punt with, they have big games Two our elite wide receivers. They have top 20 percentile games. We get good payoffs from the rest of the guys. That's how you win uh, a millionaire maker. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Um, excited for, you know, season to start up and we'll see how we can employ these strategies, especially when we're trying to put together our GPP lineups. Um, before we close out, I wanted to just plug, uh, some of the tools that we've been working on to prep for the season. Uh, some of you guys who are visiting the site, you know, might be familiar with what it is we've been working on, but if you're just listening to our audio content, um, hope that this will direct you, uh, to, to the site to engage with some of our tools and hopefully get some good, um, you know, quantitative information out of them. Um, I think to date our tools kind of break down into two fairly distinct categories. Um, some tools that focus on, uh, like macro game metrics. So how we expect, uh, games in general to play out. And I think this is obviously really useful for, um, you know, the players you want to select uh, game script is super important with uh, running backs, you know, trying to pick teams that you think will play from a play from a lead or, uh, you know, against teams with weak offenses that might have, uh, you know, access to cheap, uh, I guess, turnover induced scores. Um, so we've put together uh, our point total projection app, which is similar to uh, one of the tools we put together for baseball that I think has been really successful. Um, it's a tool that probabilistically projects how many points 
each team will score based on a number of metrics, most notably Vegas uh, over-unders and spreads, but also the uh, historic kind of paces that coaches have been uh, coaching at and, and how they've performed uh, or how, how their offenses have been paced over the course of their coaching career, uh, as well as how they've performed in the year in question. Um, yeah, and I think it's a really interesting tool. Um, you know, I, I do think, um, and, and then one of the features of this tool is it actually breaks out, breaks out the probability of each team being the top point scorer on the slate in terms of, you know, real football points scored. Um, I think it's a super useful tool. I mean, I think it is easy to, uh, you know, focus our attention on like the top, you know, one or two point total games. Um, but I do think it is an interesting application that kind of shows that probabilistically there, there's some of these, you know, uh, you know, three through five point total games are also very likely to kind of top the slate in terms of points scored. And I, I do think it could be a good, uh, you know, anchoring tool for, for how you want to allocate, especially when you're running GPPs, you know, if you're doing the whole 150 or, you know, some smaller quantity, uh, you know, how you want to allocate, I guess, those lineup towards different games uh, based on their probability of really blowing up. So I think that's a super useful tool and kind of in the same vein of this uh, macro game script and strategy, we have a play count projection tool that uh, with a lot of the same inputs that the point total projection tool uses, projects how many plays an offense will run and how many uh, of those plays will be run and how many pass plays. Um, and it also shows just historical coaching data on how, how these different coaches, both uh, head coach, offensive coordinator, and also how many plays, you know, defensive coordinators have observed running against them. Uh, I think we saw last year, like a huge trend with people really wanting to play Atlanta pass, or pass catching running backs against Atlanta. So I think understanding which defensive coordinators are, you know, giving the most opportunity to uh, certain players is extremely interesting. And I'm hoping before uh, Sunday rolls around to also uh, fold in a projection for how many air yards uh, uh, each team will, will observe in a given game based on coaching tendencies and gate based on uh, Vegas odds. I think that'll be a really useful tool for just picking which games uh, you want to stack around both uh, on a on a team by team basis, but also trying to run back a game stack. Uh, I think could be a really useful tool, and uh, I think you know we already see some good applications of these tools taking shape for Week One, um, where you know you do have a number of teams around the league that have new coaching staffs that I think are going to uh, you know be improved uh, situations for some of the players. So. Uh, obviously, Todd Munkin going to Cleveland really, uh, you know, he historically has been a very pass heavy uh, and kind of long pass heavy uh, offensive co coordinator that I think is going to open up a lot of opportunities for Baker and his receivers. Uh, Baker was strong last year and really incredible down the stretch. And I do think uh, could be poised for a really big year um, with this new offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. They kind of have moved on from Munkin to um, you know, Byron Lefwich, who in his brief time at Arizona was a pretty pass-heavy offensive coordinator. Um, and then on kind of the run side, you know, there are some some offensive coordinators moving around that are super run-heavy. Um, you know, we've seen Seattle add uh, already a very run-heavy offense. They've added Brian Schottenheimer, who's one of the most run-heavy offensive coordinators, um, I think could be really good opportunities for uh, if Chris Carson kind of emerges as that lead back, uh, as he did last year, it could be a great opportunity for him. Um, we also see Baltimore, um, I'm drawing a blank on who their new OC is, but, uh, 
also super run heavy uh, coaching scheme that uh, I think could open up good opportunities rushing for Mark Ingram, who, you know, he's always been kind of, I think, hit or miss in New Orleans. But um, yeah, given the opportunity, we we might expect him to see based on these tools could could be in line for, uh, you know, some strong games, um, as well as Lamar Jackson, who, you know, featured heavily in Baltimore's run game last year. Um, so that's kind of our first set of tools, like game, uh, you know, game scheme and, and game script tools to help you prepare for that. Um, and then we also do have player-specific tools. I think when evaluating players, uh, a good place to start is just try to project the intersection of a player's per-touch efficiency. So if that's a running back, you know, per per target or per carry efficiency. And for receivers, just projecting how many targets uh, they're going to get of their team's total targets. And you can begin to kind of integrate that with, uh, you know, our past play projections. If you project, you know, Zach Ertz to get a third of, Philadelphia pass targets, all of a sudden, you know, you begin to see, oh, well, you know, Philadelphia will run this many pass plays. You can start to begin to perform or uh, create like baseline projections for volume uh, and then exploring just players uh, efficiency and kind of the intersection of those two being your overall projection. So we have uh, the volume uh, efficiency app, which you're going to want to use for skill player um, evaluation. And we have really dynamic tools that allow you to look at specific players or compare the entire positional unit of a team. For example, uh, you know, KC wide receivers or just KC flex players in general um, to evaluate, you know, what percent of Kansas city touches each player might be expected to get. And you can look at that, uh, you know, kind of a mean uh, aggregation or look at it in a time series where you see, you know, you can see how players might spike or dip um, in terms of their, volume um, and I guess per touch efficiency and then kind of the I guess uh, companion application for a volume efficiency app which focuses on skill players we have a QB dropback frequency and efficiency application which uh, similar tool you know just uh, has historic data on other teams plays how many of those are quarterbacks dropping back on um, also, like with what frequency are they scrambling? With what frequency are they getting sacked? I think it actually could be an interesting tool for strategizing on DST, you know, trying to find quarterbacks that get sacked a lot. I think, uh, you know, with Andrew Luck out, I assume Jacoby Brissett will step in and he, over the course of his career, has been, you know, a very sackable quarterback, uh, getting sacked almost 10% of dropbacks. So I think it actually could be, you know, an application for valuing QBs, but also defenses. Um, and then, how efficient uh, these quarterbacks are per dropback. So uh, I think, you know, Nick Foles is a guy who is moving on to Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville is pulling in John DeFilippo, who tends to skew towards a pass heavy offense, but uh, yeah, he's just, you know, fantasy points per dropback are, are quite low. So um, I don't know, you know, I'm a little bearish on, on that, uh, you know, passing stack uh, for that reason, but I think, yeah, it's a really useful tool for, for evaluating quarterbacks and kind of what they do when they drop back and how fantasy efficient they are in their dropbacks. Um, and yeah, we're hoping in coming weeks, I think, to uh, incorporate some of these tools and the statistics that they produce into our slate by slate breakdown. Um, in the early part of the season, we are going to have a show on Roto Grinders uh, where we might incorporate some of these tools uh, into our content uh, with some visualizations. So uh, keep a lookout for that um, in the coming weeks. 
Uh, Brandon, you have anything you want to touch on before we close out our kind of week one NFL intro podcast? Yeah, just a parting thought. Um, we do have another podcast this week where we're going to go into a little bit more game by game and position by position. So save that for the other podcast. But um, I do want to say that I think ownership will be quite condensed this year, this uh, first game. Uh, I think what's going to happen is you do have a lot of value, especially at running back. Uh, some of the mid-priced running backs aren't priced for their new role correctly. So you've got tons of value on people like Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler. Um, so that's going to really condense value on those guys. And um, then it's going to allow people to pay up for Mahomes and Kelsey. Uh, I really think that th this is going to lead to very condensed ownership. It's going to it's going to see high concentration on those those guys, which in turn is going to lead to everyone having about the same amount left for wide receivers. And there's there's some clear values there. So I think I think you're just going to get a lot of concentration. So um, I think a good approach is to not try to cover the board. And if you have say 20 lineups that you're going to put in, use the point projection app know that the the best ownership range will be say the fourth fifth sixth team in terms of probability of having the highest point total and just sort of focus your lineups there and you kind of can't go wrong because if you're focused on the the team that has the fourth highest probability of, of being the highest scorer uh ownership is going to be low and there's a decent chance that you're that you're there uh, and and targeting the right game. So um, that's kind of what I would advise. I would not advise targeting the whole board. I would not advise value hunting because everyone's going to be doing that and it's it's going to be uh, a little bit too popular and common. Cool. Well, yeah, good thing to keep in mind. And um, yeah, hope everyone has a great NFL season. And uh, yeah, look forward to the season ahead. So with that, uh, we're signing off. Good luck, everyone, this weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week.